0: Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? This is Jason Reynolds, the author of Miles Morales' Spider-Man. And you are so lucky because right now you're tuned in to The Ultimate Spin. Ultimate
1: Spin. This is Ultimate Spin. Welcome to the Spider-Man podcast that looks at a different corner of the web and follows the ongoing adventures of Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen. I'm your host, Brian, and this episode features our exclusive interview with award-winning author Jason Reynolds, writer of the New York Times best-selling young adult novel Miles Morales, Spider-Man. Over the next hour, Jason shares his insight on writing for someone else's character and finding a way to put his own stamp on it. We'll look at how the book considers identity, truth, family, courage, the need for masks, and of course, power and responsibility. We'll also learn why all of us have the power of Spidey Sense, and discuss how in this day and age, it's more important than ever to get into the good kind of trouble. If this is your first time checking out our show, then we invite you to visit ultimatespinpodcast.com, where you can download or stream earlier episodes, including more in-depth conversations with the writers and artists who bring these characters to life. But for now, I hope you enjoy this interview with the one and only Jason Reynolds. It's time for The Ultimate Spin.
0: Yo, hello?
1: Hey, Jason, it's Brian. How are you? What's up, man? How you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Thanks for making the time. I really appreciate it.
0: All good, man. I appreciate y'all,
1: man. Looking forward to getting into this novel with you. Let's do it. So uh, we've been talking about your book on our show for a while now, which is not a big surprise. It's a Miles Morales podcast. So yeah, of course, we're going to talk about it. The bigger news is a lot of people are paying attention, and we're recording this August 2017, and your book is on the New York Times bestseller list for the third week in a row, which is amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. Cue,
0: cue the, uh, cue the, 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 the applause track. You, you know, got right?
1: it. <laughs> 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 uh, but I mean, for us, I mean, it's really exciting to see the appeal of the character just translate to a wider audience. My 10 year old son, Adam is a fan of your work. And the fact that you were switching gears to do a Spider-Man adventure just blew his mind. And he wanted me to ask you about taking a comic book character that comes with a decent bit of backstory and your decision to like let go of quite a bit of it. Cause my son, he reads the miles comic book adventures, but his friends don't. So he was really taken by the fact that with your book, anyone could just jump in and that got him really excited about being able to share it. And so I just want to know, like how did you land on that approach to kind of keep things simple? Was that an editorial request? Was that part of your original pitch? First, let me
0: just say, you know, um, Adam, his name is Adam. Yes, yes. Uh, just tell him uh, that I'm grateful and that I that I really appreciate um, him him reading anything that I've written, and that it means the world to me. I, I'll say this though, man. I um, I so so in full disclosure, I wasn't like a huge comic book person, so I got to approach Miles sort of fresh, right? Because I didn't have the baggage, even though I know all the baggage was there. I know all the story um existed already. And they sent me a box. Marvel sent me a box with all of the the backstory and all the different issues, all the different iterations of Miles, the different universes. Um, but because I was coming into it kind of cold, um I got to kind of look at it for, for from a different, from a different perspective. I wasn't married to anything. I didn't have there was nothing that was precious about the story for me. Uh, in terms of what had already been done, now that's not to say that there were things that I could not change, right? Because there were certain things that they were like, look, this is this is a part of who he is and his story, and and we need you to hold true to those things. But they also were like, but because there are several different universes, you get to kind of pick and choose what you want to to pull from what from which universe, right? So like in some in one universe, I think his mom uh, is dead, right. you know, and, exactly. right, and and in another universe, his mom is alive and she knows that he's Spider Man. Uh, right yeah it, it gets all these different it, it was and that, that was the hardest part right it's like yo here i am i have to create a novel uh that one and not only is it a novel but it's a novel about miles morales who happens to be spider-man spider-man which happens to be arguably one of the most ubiquitous superheroes on earth in history right <laughs> like how, how am I going to decide what I want to pull and what works now for me? This was simple because it came down to understanding that I need this kid to have as normal of a family as possible because that, because I knew that I couldn't give it too much. I I wouldn't be able to do, I wouldn't be able to do a miles Morales superhero novel as much justice as I'd be able to do a miles Morales teenage boy novel. Hmm. So I, so I immediately, um, nailed down that which made him normal, quote unquote normal. So I needed his parents to be his parents. I needed, uh, you know, I, I, and I needed them to be as, as quote unquote normal as possible to ground the story so that I could have a little more wiggle room to do everything else. If his parents, um, and if that part of the story were sort of up in the air and, and, and maybe a little more, uh, fantastic, uh, for me, it would have created, um, It would have thwarted a lot of what I wanted to do with Miles because his parents would have had too much at stake and there would have been too many things I would have had to explore. So that was the first thing, like nailing down and grounding his family. His family is where everything is sort of birthed out of. Uh, And and then there were other parts of of the story, like, do you want to bring in Peter Parker Hmm. Right. Like, do you have do you want to have, you know, some of the other heroes come into play? Right. And and those were questions that I did ask. And those were questions that I even talked to Marvel. But at the end of the talk to, uh, to Disney and Marvel about. But at the end of the day, this is the Miles Morales story. And if I were to bring in superheroes that were that are they have longer legacies um, and that have broader appeal than Miles has. Um, then he gets swallowed. Right. It's right. Miles is a burgeoning character. Right. So if I were to bring in, say, a Peter Parker, then immediately this becomes about Peter Parker's cameo. If I were to bring in the Avengers, then this immediately becomes an Avengers novel because they're because they're all juggernauts. And Miles is sort of just just sort of uh, staking a claim and making a name for himself. And I needed this to be about him. So that helped me to sort of weed all those things out.
1: I appreciated how you framed it too, because if you happen to be a comic book reader and you're keyed into those things, it's not like you explicitly contradict any of that stuff, right? But if you're coming in cold, it's like you don't know what you don't know, so it's not going to affect it,
0: right? It's it's, it's still going to be a story, right? And, and that was my whole thing. It's like I wanted people to feel how I felt the first time that I. So let's say, you know, or the, I mean, even when I was, when, when I was growing up, Peter Parker was obviously everywhere and everything. And I, and I always say this, you know, we talk about comic book culture today as if it's like this, this, um, that like people are like, yo, comic book culture is, is basically like quote unquote nerd culture that's become pop culture. But the truth of the matter is, is that comic book culture has technically always been popular culture. We just have never seen it as such. But, the, but, but when I was growing up, there was not a kid on earth who didn't know who Spider-Man was, who didn't know who Wolverine was. Right? right. Like, 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 like whether we call that comic book culture or whether we want to delineate that and turn it into superhero culture, right. Is, is debatable. But, but, but this idea that superheroes, um, that, that, that suddenly that culture has become a part of the everyday, the, our everyday vernacular and, 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 and lexicon, I think is a bit short-sighted. So my whole thing was, how can we create a new version of the, the, the superhero that you don't have to be, um, an avid reader to love or to understand. And all I wanted was for this to be sort of an entree into this world where people can say, yo, we could we could read novels. We can read literary novels about superheroes without having read a comic book. It doesn't mean that, that comic books are less than because they're not right. That's the reason that we have a Spider-Man. Um, but not everybody's going to pick up a comic book, right? Yeah. Just like everybody's going to pick up a novel. So the more options we have, the better.
1: You mentioned Marvel hooking you up with like a Miles One Hundred and One box, and I mean, in addition to the superhero angle, this this is also new territory for you because you're you're shepherding someone else's creation. Did you get to connect with Bendis? Did he offer you any advice, you know, in the beginning or along the way?
0: So I never. I still to this day have not talked to Bendis. Wow. Yeah, it's weird. But not and you know, and I wanna you know, I wanna couch that by saying that it's it for no good reason, right? No, I gotcha, I gotcha. You, got you. you know, like we're not avoiding each other. It's not like that. we just we just for some reason have yet to connect. Um he passed through his friends. Like I remember I sat next to a guy at a dinner once, uh, maybe a year ago, and it, it, this guy was one of Bendis' best is one of Bendis' best friends. And so like he was passing messages to me from Bendis or You know, so like a lot of that stuff has happened, but I haven't, um, I haven't spoken to him. We we didn't talk anything about about the character or about what I wanted to do. And honestly, looking back now, now that it's all over and it's out in the world, I'm kind of glad that he uh, didn't press for that to happen. Hmm. Because at the end of the day, I will always respect Bendis for. I mean, he created this. Miles doesn't get to exist if Bendis didn't make Miles. But I also will respect Bendis for not. for not ruling with an iron fist, right? For not putting his hand on the thing that I wanted to do, and for letting me, for giving me the space to sort of stretch out and 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 make Miles at least a version of Miles my own. Um, and and I'm grateful for him. And when I finally get to meet him, I I will tell him that to his face.
1: That's fantastic. I mean, as someone that's read the comics, I I really enjoyed seeing you kind of color outside the lines a little bit. Little things, right? The like characters using speech patterns that are more evocative of of life in Brooklyn. And Genki's a sneakerhead, and you know. Jefferson is a fair, but he's a tough dad and Rio's Sunday night dinners and miles on the work study program. Like all of these things really shape the world. And and again, don't explicitly contradict anything. They, they all work. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you touched on it a little bit. Uh, was there anything that you really wanted to do that might've been considered off limits?
0: Um, you know, I, 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 if I'm being completely honest with you, that what I thought I did would have been off limits until Disney and Marvel said, push it further. Wow. Yeah. So like my original, I mean, here I am, this guy coming in, taking, taking Miles Morales and sort of turning the Miles Morales story into a story about a sixteen, fifteen, sixteen 15, 16 year old boy in Brooklyn who has basically decided that he is going to tackle white supremacy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and
0: it's like uh, I don't know if, if they're going to let me, they're going to let me roll with this. But after I turned the first draft in, and the first draft is sort of, you know, it was basically me, uh, trying to feel my way through an, an uncharted territory in my own career and sort of eggshelling with this thing, knowing that it's, that it's Marvel, right? And, and, and what that means. Uh, and them sending me notes saying, Hey, we see everything you're trying to do. So let's, like, let's go there. If we're going to go there, let's go there. Uh, and, and so much respect to Marvel and to Disney for really, Allow They really were like, "Come on, like, come on, come on, like, let's do it." We can tell you want to do it, but you're scared of what we're going to say. So now we're going to let you off the hook and say, "Then let's go there. Let's do it." Um, and the other thing, the other thing that was important for me, and I, and I, I, I want to make sure this is clear because it, it's 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 to me it's the most important part of this story and why I even took it on in the first place. I believe that it is important, and, and not even that it's important, but that it is okay. For us to nail down, uh, the cultural textures of Miles. I don't think that that, that, that shouldn't be a problem. It shouldn't be an issue. It shouldn't be something that we shy away from or we mm. tiptoe around. We have to be able to, to really carve out what it means, what his cultural identity is and what that means in relationship to his role as Spider-Man. And I think my, I don't, I, I only have one one issue with with Bendis's, um interpretation of Miles, and this is with all due respect, uh, because I also can understand the, argue, the, 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 the argument on the other side of that coin. Um, but there's there's that one issue where Miles is fighting in, in the comic. Miles is fighting a superhero. I mean, he's fighting a villain, and his his uniform is ripped.
1: Yes, right,
0: right. And this is and every time I brought this up to comic book people, they had the same reaction. With every, they immediately know like, oh, yes. <laughs> there's this one moment and. The young lady films it. She puts it on YouTube. Genki's like, yo, this is amazing. There's this girl. You're famous, right? And and the, and the young lady says, oh my God, Miles Morales, you know, has brown skin. You know, we don't know if he's black or brown or he could be, you know, Indian or Pakistani, right? But he has right. brown skin. Um, and Miles' response is basically, what does it matter that I have brown skin? I'm, I'm, I'm Spider-Man. And it broke my heart. It, mm-hmm. it hurt, it hurt me. Um, because all I really wanted is, is that acknowledgement that, that it's for him to acknowledge what it means. And it doesn't mean that he has to turn it into a thing, but it, I would rather him say nothing, but that one statement, that one sort of dismissal of, of his, of of his, of, of his, of who he is culturally, the dismissal of that, uh, felt, felt violent to me. And that was the, the that was the thing that made me want to take the gig. And it also informed why I worked so hard to make sure that we that we heard his mother, that we that we heard that, that we saw the family dynamic in terms of the cultural dynamic of the family, right? Whether it be the Sunday dinners and the chicharron or yeah. uh, uh, dancing to Celia Cruz or uh, the way that his father speaks to him, the way that um, he speaks about his his family the way that 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 that, that Genki is and the way that they talk. Um, the the questioning of it all, right? Him going, I mean, he's a black kid in, at, at at a wealthy private school that has room and board. Is a good chance that that school is a majority white school. We have to address it, sure, right? Like these are things that we have to address, and it doesn't mean that these things have to be uh, have to take over the novel or that they have to be um, didactic or heavy handed. But it but it's a disservice. For us to create a black Spider-Man, a black and brown Spider-Man, or for us to create uh, a a black Iron Woman, or for us to create uh, a a Muslim superhero and pretend that by painting their skin brown and by giving them hijabs, um, that that is enough.
1: It ends up being very superficial, just kind of lip service in that way. I get it. And and
0: I needed to do that. And I needed, and and more so than me needing to do that, I need to make sure that I say that. Uh, on this podcast and in every space, that it it, it does matter. <laughs> it matters. It matters, and it's more than just brown, a brown, brown skin. You know, it's also about what that means culturally.
1: No, I I really I really appreciate hearing that. And this book has big ideas. I mean, we're talking about identity, and there's also truth and responsibility. And you mentioned family. There's justice and perseverance. And these are all huge things. When you finally sat down to write it, you know, if you're in, you know on your notebook or in front of your laptop or whatever, I mean. What was your starting point? Like, where did you choose to begin? What were the, where'd you start? Miles set the good dishes on the table.
0: Ah, okay. That's that. That was exactly the first line. The first thing I and you know why? Because in 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 Miles is half black, half Puerto Rican, and in those both in both of those cultures, food uh, food is where everything happens. Right. Everything happens around the table. Um, And the idea of good dishes, you know, Brian, it's funny, man, when I when I when I'm talking about this book and let's say I'm in, you know, I'm in Harlem or I'm in D.C. or or wherever it is. If the crowd is diverse, the moment that I say uh, Miles sets the good dishes on the table, you can always hear a segment of the room snicker (laughs)
1: because because, because
0: there are communities. That know exactly what good dishes are. Of course. And not only what good dishes are, but what they look like, right? The the blue, the blue port like the white porcelain That's with the blue right. enamel of <laughs> yes. the Chinese villages that no one's ever been to, right? This is right. like that first paragraph was the jump off um, to the entire novel. Because what it would do for me, what I what I hoped it would do, and what I hope it does do, is that it immediately, it immediately gives you a sense of who, of who he is, where he comes from, and and, and the cloth from which he's cut. And, and, and everything, every other part of this novel comes out of that scene. Everything. Who he is. Cause think about it, right? Genki's there. Uh, his parents are there. Uh, the conversations they're having, what happens to Miles when he goes to the bathroom and, and prepares to get ready for school. Like the, the first chapter of this book, and specifically the first two or three pages, literally sets us up to at least know who Miles is. Now, what Miles does when he puts the mask on and becomes Spider-Man, we all already know. Right. Once once he becomes Spider Man, we know what Spider Man does. But what we don't know is who Miles is, and we get to know that this story is going to be about who he is from the very first line. Uh, and that that meant that was that was where I started.
1: Every Spider Man fan knows all about great power and great responsibility, and different writers come at those themes in different ways. And in your novel, you know, we see through Miles making certain choices. We see it through his parents. Uh, and we see it through the teachers at Brooklyn Visions Academy. And teachers definitely wield incredible power and incredible responsibility. And we get some very different takes in this book. And I wanted to start with Ms. Blaufus, Miles' English teacher. She's warm and she's kind of quirky and very supportive and she's immediately likable. And as we learn in the acknowledgments, she's a real person. <laughs> Could you share a little bit about the real Ms. Blaufus and how she yeah. found her way into your book?
0: And so, Ms. Bluffus, it's crazy, right? Like, these, these are like the sweet moments. Like, my career as a writer, like, there are these sweet moments where you get to do things like this and you get to, you get to immortalize people who have changed your life. So, Ms. Bluffus was my English teacher, my sophomore year English teacher. And she, uh, she gave me the blues, man. No, my junior year, junior year, I think. She gave me the blues. The she was blues. a young teacher. Oh my God. She was so hard on me. She was, <laughs> she, was, she, was she was a young teacher. Uh, fresh out of Yale, and she was teaching at our school, and, um, you know, you you got the sense that she knew coming into it that she was going to have to like lay down the law first,
1: mm-hmm.
0: to, to let us know that we couldn't fool around that she was not here to play games with us. But I remember coming home uh, the first two days of school and and telling my mother, I got I got to switch out of her class. Right. Like, I need you to, I need you to take me out of her class. I need you to switch me out of her class. And my mom was like, just give it some time. I'm sure she'll ease up a little bit. And I'm like, mom, this lady is hateful and, and mean. And, and, and I just don't think she gets it. Like this, that, and the third. Right. Hmm. And of course, as the year goes on, this blockers becomes the greatest English teacher that I'd ever had. And uh, she, she pushed me in a way that no teacher had ever pushed me in my life. She And she saw the thing, right? Like, Ms. Blaufus is the reason that I even had the confidence to pursue. Um, she's one of the reasons I even, I even had the confidence to pursue writing because Ms. Blaufus was the one to tell my mother when I was in, like, the 11th grade that he needs to go to a writing program, send him to a, to a university that has a strong writing program. I think he can do something. Of course, I didn't go to the university she suggested, but it was cool that she went to my mom and said, look, Jason has there's something there and he just needs somebody to help him pull it out. She also started a creative writing class at our school that only, that only, you know, she only taught eight kids in this class and made sure that, um, that I was in this, that I, that I had a seat in this class. And in that class, we learned things like Cijo. We learned, uh, Villanelles and Sestinas and, and haiku. We learned, uh, short story prose and all this, you know, all this, this stuff that she was teaching us that no other teacher in my high school, um, Taught us and, and that's and, and we're still good friends. Now she's the principal at a different school, and uh, I had lunch with her maybe nine months ago. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And it was great just to catch up, and, and she's still the sweetest lady. And um, I asked her if I could put her in the book, and you know, that would be okay. And, and you know, and Miss Bluffus was not nearly as sort of cool as the <laughs>
1: <kid>. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> Miss Bluffus is kind of a, a super sweet, but, but admittedly nerdy, you know. Sure. Like, she's a like nerd, you know, but, um, but in my mind, when I think of her, she was this, she was, she was a step ahead of everybody. We just couldn't see it. We didn't know. Right. She, she wasn't as nerdy as we all took her for. She looked nerdy. Right. But she was like light years ahead of the rest of us. Um, and, and it took me, you know, 20 years after graduating to to realize <laughs> that. <laughs>
1: No, she's she's such a fantastic character in the book, and I'm glad she's there because she's got to balance out Miles's history teacher, Mister Chamberlain, and this older guy and kind of creepy, and every line just forcing me to to raise an eyebrow. And this dude is pushing really uncomfortable ideas on his class, and he's unashamedly celebrating a very dark part of our country's history, which makes it more all the more upsetting when he's leaning hard on Miles and I I have to share this with you Jason I mean as a reader as a person of color that grew up in a setting where I was very much the minority this character really rattled me in a in a profound way because I had a similar dynamic with my 3rd grade teacher she just did not like me and she often would single me out for the simplest things uh, stuff other kids could seemingly get away with but I I can't say for sure why she did that but 35 years later, I mean, I still think about it because I was alone in that. And my parents, you know, a cultural thing, I mean, just assumed it must have been my fault because the teacher is the authority figure. And I feel very lucky I somehow made it through. But your book makes it clear that others haven't been so fortunate. And I'm thinking about there's a very poignant scene where Miles' dad's friends are sharing similar experiences with tough teachers. And you have a character called Sip who sums up his school experience in a very bleak way. For some of us, school is like a tree we get to hide in, and at the bottom of it is a bunch of dogs. Them dogs are bad decisions. So when people shake us out that tree for no reason, it becomes a lot easier to get bit. I'm curious to know, I mean, did you ever observe that sort of thing happen or even go through a version of it yourself?
0: You know, I, it's funny. I don't think I was ever unfairly disciplined in high school, um, in middle school, things were tricky, but that was because I was dealing with like family stuff and I was acting out. Um, but what I, but what I will say is I have, I've, I've been in the school system and I have friends who work in the school system and my mom works in the school system and all of her friends are principals in the school system. And, um, you know, there is something very strange. I mean, look, there's been all this research done about this these days, right? Where we've seen that the numbers have come out over the last 15 years, uh, where we, we now know for certain <laughs> that, uh, that children of color are disciplined at a much higher rate and much harsher, um, for the same offenses and sometimes for lesser offenses as their white counterparts. Like, that's just, that's, the research is being done, right? Like, that's what's happening. We also know, um, that there is a direct correlation between expulsion and prison. Uh, we know that the pipeline is something is it, not just um, an idea, but that there, there is fact and there is research to back up this the, the notion that like prisons are planned off a of fourth grade test scores. Uh, we know these are things, these are things we, we know. I was looking, I was listening to this American life, uh, maybe two years ago. And there was a young lady, um, talking about her children and discussing how her kid was, her kid was in pre-kindergarten and was being suspended every week, uh, for things that this child was doing. And when she went to the birth, to a birthday party for her, with her, with her kid and his classmates, all of their, the parents who were right, uh, were, were sharing stories saying, well, my kid did this, this and this and got time out. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right
0: and, and and she was the only and she was the only black parent in the school sure right so and, and, and i also think on top of all of that i think that there are um i've met a lot of teachers who are black teachers you know single single black teachers in all white schools and where black children come running to them because they feel like they have been unjustly unfairly treated and sometimes what it is is that not everybody understands how to uh, communicate with certain, with certain kids from certain cultures, right? That The codes are, the codes can be uh, a little different. Look, we're not a monolith, so I can't, this isn't, this isn't the blanket the culture, but I'm saying that there are, there are codes that, there are cultural codes in every single culture that either you know or you don't. And knowing those codes are greatly beneficial when it comes to communicating uh, and teaching and uh, disciplining young people, right? And, and I don't think that those codes are always, no. Now, with all that said, I think that, um, it doesn't necessarily matter the intention. What matters is what happens on the back end. And what happens on the back end is that 35 years later, you, you still remember your third grade class. What happens on the back end is, you know, young people who, who, who can't, who don't feel safe or comfortable in a classroom setting, young people who, who are afraid to raise their hands, young people who uh, are afraid to be wrong or saying the wrong thing, young people who find themselves in principal's offices or in detention or suspended or fearful of this, of this shadow um, and phantom record that we all were told exists that actually does not follow you into adulthood. But all of us have been told that if you act up, you're, you're going to get a mark in your record and that record's going to haunt you forever and ever and ever, right? Right. All of those things, Play into who we are as adults um, and the decisions that we make. You go to go to prison and you talk to keep the guys in prison, and most of them do not have high school diplomas. And you ask them what happened, and you hear these kinds of stories. Um, and, and and I wanted to talk about it, man, because it's happening. It's happening, man. I mean, you know, there's a part of me right in this moment that wants to dive into the rabbit hole of politics, but I'll spare you. <laughs> uh, but but it's happening as we speak right now. Yeah. Right, right now. I mean, and, and 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 so that's where Chamberlain. You know, that I mean, even Chamberlain's name, right? A uh, Chamberlain is it, it literally translates to the watch watcher of the room. And that's what it means. It means overseer. That's what Chamberlain means. Right,
1: like that's. <laughs> A lot of this book, I mean, is about we're touching on this now. Like it's about defining yourself and not settling for the world, what the world may have already decided about you. And so you mentioned Chamberlain. I really appreciated how you, you shine a big light on names in this book. I mean, Miles means soldier, and Alicia means nobility, and Yankee is just Yankee. And <laughs> I've been reading this for years, and I'm embarrassed to say, Jason, I never made the connection with the real Jefferson Davis. Did that jump out at you straight from the beginning, or did it click as you were getting into the book?
0: It jumped out, you know, that was my, so there were, so there were a few things that really, look, and this is uh, like again, with all, again, with all respect to, to Bendis, right? The, the difference, between, the difference between writing a novel and writing a comic book is that you don't have as long, uh, like with a comic, with, with writing a comic book and writing anything that is serialized, you have a, a long scope to build the story out, right? You could take years to plug holes. In a novel, you don't have that kind of time. I can't put a novel out with holes in it because right. who reads it will immediately put, put like stick their finger in those holes and say, "Hey man, hey man, <laughs> this is inconsistent." This is, so, so, so the so one of the hardest parts about writing the novel was knowing for a fact from the very beginning it was like, "Wait a minute, his father's name is Jefferson Davis. What the <laughs> right? Like, I, 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 there's no way that I can let it that I can let it roll." Because it's, because in a novel, it's going to be, it's going to be like glaring. Mm -hmm. Right. The second thing was like, wait a minute. His mother's Puerto Rican, which means that culturally speaking, there's a good chance his mom is Catholic, which means that culturally speaking, there's a good chance his mom would take his father's last name, which means that her son's name would be Miles Davis. right. 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 I have to address it. I can't let that slide. Sure. I have to address it. Or, oh, his best friend's name is Genki. Genki is Korean. Genki is not a Korean name, Mm -hmm. and everybody who reads my book, uh, those some of these people will be Korean and will say and and will not know Spider Man, will not know the Miles Miles, Morales comic books, and say, why is his name Genki and Genki is not Korean? So I had to ask all my everybody, all my Korean friends, ask their, their their parents, their grandparents, is Genki a Korean name? And all of them said, no, it's not, and if anything, it's probably a Japanese name.
1: Interesting.
0: Which means, and which means I, and one of my friends even said, yeah, there's a famous actor, Genki so and so, Japanese guy. Huh. Right? And so I then have to figure out how to navigate that, especially in a time where, where, where misrepresentation, uh, yeah. misrep- <laughs> right, will get you trounced. Right? And so I needed to make sure, well, all right, I have to somehow address this without, um, without coming across as, like I said, didactic or trite, right? I got to figure it out without making this thing trite. I got to make it matter. All these holes, I've got to make matter somehow. Um, and that's why you get the Jefferson Davis references. Uh, that's why, I mean, that's the reason that I was able like, it was almost like the perfect storm. I said, okay, his father's name is Jefferson Davis. We're talking about the 13th Amendment. We're talking about the prison industrial complex. We're talking about the school-to-prison pipeline. All of these things work directly together, right? Yeah. Um but, but I have to do the work to figure out how to make this fit. I got to make these names work. So let me figure out how to make not just, not just his father's name, but everybody's name has to matter, right? So I got to figure out how to make that fit uh, because I can't address Miles' name and his father's name without addressing the fact that Genki's name isn't isn't Korean. I have to figure out. <laughs> right. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was, you know, novels are like putting together
1: jigsaws, man. Sure. And, and the revelation, or when it clicks together for uh... – the for Jefferson Davis that name and when it comes through in, in Mr. Chamberlain's class I have to say like as a dad and reading these books on my own and with my kids I mean I I really appreciate how you always I mean not just in this book but in in your other works too like you always respect the intelligence of your younger readers and in this book it's such a tricky thing for balancing respect for authority figures with the need to to question and understand and I I think that's such an important lesson. We were just talking about this, like just to, to know how to trust an instinct, because if it doesn't feel right, that's because it's not. Right. And to, to kind of go with that. Yeah.
0: And that's and that's literally you know, I'm so glad you brought this up because, I, you know, I've been doing all these interviews and and that's the one thing that I'm if I had to say what this book is about. Right. Like people are like, what is it? Is it about? You know, is it is, is it politicized? All these things. Right. And the truth is, is that what it's really, really about is saying that Miles Morales is superpowers. And that when we think about superpowers, we think about Miles shooting web and flying to the sky. We think about his superhuman strength. The truth of the matter is, is that Miles' superpower is a superpower that everybody has. It's the power of discernment. It's the power of courage. Right? The all of these 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 things that we always overlook when we talk about superpowers. But the truth is, Miles' spidey sense is just the power of discernment. Every kid has spidey sense. Everybody has it, right? It isn't this. We t- we've we've turned it over time. We've turned Spidey sense into this like, it, it's a hyper intu- a hyper intuition. Mm-hmm. But I think I think it would be almost a little more fascinating to think about the fact that Miles's hyper intuition exists in every single kid in pl- everybody has this, right? This isn't <laughs> right, and that and that he can't even beat uh, he can't even beat the warden with with his superpowers. They they can they, they do nothing. For the warden, right? Like his, the web, his strength, none of it works. The only thing that works for the warden is the thing that all of us has, right? Will, the power of courage, the power of, 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 of self confidence, of self awareness, right? The power of identity, of, 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 of certainty in self, right? All of these things, the power of community, right? He says, We are Miles Morales. We are from Brooklyn. We are from, right? The, the, all this is a superpower that is what this story is about you know
1: we were talking about poetry i want to get into that a little bit more you open the book with a very powerful excerpt from a poem by paul lawrence dunbar called we wear the mask we wear the mask that grins and lies it hides our cheeks and shades our eyes this debt we pay to human guile with torn and bleeding hearts we smile and mouth with myriad subtleties It's so simple and yet very heavy. And at first glance, it read to me as the voice of possibly the defeated. But looking closer, it stood out to me as the voice of the defiant. Yep. And it ties together beautifully with the poem that Miles' classmate Alicia creates later on in the novel. What do you hope your readers, especially your younger ones, would take away from reading that?
0: I mean, I think, I think that there's, um, that's a good, one. no one's ever asked that. That's a good one. I think, I think, end of the day, I, I, I hope what they see more than anything is that, uh, John, John Lewis has this quote, you know, the, 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 great Congressman John Lewis. Oh, yes. And, um, he always says, whenever you talk to him or whenever you hear him talk, whenever you hear him speak, whenever you read anything he's written, he always says the same thing, which is basically, we have to get in, we have to get into good trouble. Right. There, there is, there is, there is trouble and then there is good trouble. And it is important, um, that we get, it is important, right? It is imperative that we teach our young people how to get into good trouble. And I know that can be a complicated, complicated thing, but it is something that all of us have got to take up, right? We have to do it. I mean, so when I think about Paul Lawrence Dunbar's We Wear the Mask, right? What we wear, what, 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 what he's addressing in the poem, is this sort of double consciousness, right this idea that that in the context of his actual work, it was the idea that like black people during this time have got to wear the mask. you've got to grin and smile and hide the pain and just that and the third, but the greater context of it is uh all of us have to 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 wear the mask, but what the mask does is it creates opportunity for us to blend to 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 to, to be in spaces where we can then cause good trouble. Uh, It it creates like Miles Morales, like it it tied it into his mask. Right. Like we wear the mask, this idea that when I put this mask on, there are things that I can do that perhaps I can't do as Miles Morales. And the idea that or perhaps I can do those things without this mask on and that this mask has nothing to do with an actual mask, but instead has to do with my ability to uh, uh, to, to, for lack of better words, to to infiltrate that which is uncomfortable and make good and, and, and really get into some good trouble. And that. That, I think, is, a, is is priceless information for all young people, right? Everything that has ever happened in this country in terms of in terms of good things that have changed have come from young people getting in good trouble. Um, we have to give them the legs to, to, to be and and the and the and the voices and the courage to not be afraid to let their voices be heard. As long as they're being as long as they're being thoughtful and safe and intelligent, as long as they're planning uh and and really doing the necessary work it takes to actually affect change. It is nothing wrong. There will never be anything
1: wrong with getting in control. I really appreciate hearing that. I think those are those are great, great words to live by into just to bear in mind. And just learning how to express those ideas and I liked how this book kinda shifted between different ways of expression, and one thing that stood out to me in particular was the use of letters. Uh, we have Miles's school application essay, and the letter he gets from Austin, and even the notes passed with Alicia. There's there's a sense of immediacy, and they become much more engaging because it almost feels like we're looking at something that we shouldn't, because they're not addressed to us.
0: Exactly, and I think I think there's something to that too, right? This idea that under, under the cover of darkness, uh, you know, incredible things happen sometimes, right? And I. And I, I... In a world that is hyper hyper exposed, a world that is uh, hyper voyeuristic, um, for me it was important that there are moment there were that that there were secret moments, right? Like that, that sometimes that sometimes um, the greatest the greatest thing we could do is has to be secret, has to be a secret. And my mom always said, "Look, if you want it to happen, don't tell nobody." <laughs> 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 right? right. If, if you really if you really want a thing to come into fruition, it, your wildest dreams. Right, you you tell them to yourself every day, but but you keep a secret, you know. And 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 there's something about the idea of like he and Austin sort of sharing letters, or he and Alicia sort of sh- you know sharing letters, or uh, uh, even even thinking about his his application, right? That was something that no one was ever supposed to see, right. besides. Uh, besides the dean of the school, but like his parents hadn't seen it, like that was something that no one was supposed to see. No one was supposed to know. It was an opportunity for him to be, um, to be, to be vulnerable. And I think that's what you can do with, with secrets. Right? It's an opportunity for vulnerability, and, and vulnerability always, um, even if you take a few lumps in the midst of being vulnerable, it always fosters growth.
1: And the the letter, his essay in particular, that that ends up being a particularly devastating moment too, with the, have those words come back at him. Yeah, used against them. Oh, yeah. But then poetry also factors in a huge way throughout the book. What inspired your decision to weave that into this novel?
0: You know, I, it's funny, a few things, you know, when I first took the deal, there was a lady who was working as the editor at the time who actually quit right out, who took, she took another job right after I said yes. So like she had, like, she had been like wooing me and then I said yes and she's like, I'm going to not be working with you. So, <laughs> um, but, but one thing she said early on and she was like, look, I read out, I've been following your work for the past, you know, I've been in the industry for 13 years, you know, and she's like, I've been following your work for a very long time. Um, and I really hope you figure out how to put poetry in a Spider-Man book. And then she's like, but I have to take a new job. I'll talk to you soon. Right.
1: <laughs> Good luck. Right.
0: But the, the mere, the mere fact that she thought that that was appropriate, that that, that was something that could work, uh, cause I would have never thought about it. Right. I mean, she's like, I just, it, it would be really interesting to figure out how to put poetry in <laughs> because of my, because my first discipline was poetry. That's, that's what I trained. Okay. Um, that's, that, that's what I was trained to do, to write poetry. Um, and so. That was the first thing. The second thing is I needed to figure out how to round out Genki's character. And one of the subtleties of, of rounding out Genki's character was to give him give him a point of pride. I needed to figure out how to create make him more whole. I didn't want him to just be comic relief. I needed to find ways to expand uh, and complicate who he who he is. So the, So the one thing was creating a divorce with his parents. Um, and to, and to, and to use his humor, um, as deflecting, as a deflecting and defense mechanism. And the other thing was to create, uh, was to sort of teach the lesson on Korean, a Korean form of poetry that no one ever discusses, um, as another way to just sort of give him some shine, uh, and, and to let, and, and to make sure that the readers who read this book know that the diversity in this book, um, is important on all levels and that, and that one, uh, and that there's no diverse character who is just used as a tool to right. push the story forward. I needed all of them. Everybody needed to be um, whole. And, and so that was where the CGO thing came from. And furthermore, it was, a, it was a literary device, right? I wanted to make sure that there were ways that I could get into Miles's head without having to, sh- without having to spell everything out, right? Without him having to – without it having to be too voice-heavy or too sort of uh, too self-aware. And instead was like, look, we can create a school assignment um, using poetry, where we can get a glimpse into Miles' mind without him having to spill so much of the beans and the minds of everybody around him, right? So you know who, you know, the kid, the, the uh, Ryan Ratliff. Yes. You know who he is based on what he's writing. You know who some of the other characters are. You know who Alicia is, right? You know who she is based on the work she's produced in class. And I think that's just a cool literary device um, that I thought could work to, to, to you know, build out the world without... with. Without um, all the fluff, you know, just get right to the heart of it. It's, it's, poetry is distilled, and I think that's sort of the power of it.
1: There's such an elegance to it. And speaking for myself and my son as readers, I mean, we we love that component of the book, and especially seeing their enthusiasm for it. Especially Yankees, because he, as you, you as you, you have them say at one point, like, "This is you know the work of my people," and you know, <laughs> yeah. just really into it and, and pushing pushing miles on it, and even using it. To, I mean, when he's not particularly happy with Miles, I, I think the line Miles Morales is a dumbass, just had <laughs> on the floor for, you know, for a good two minutes. <laughs> um, to switch gears a little bit, I mean, it's a crazy year and the discourse is just more toxic than ever. And especially matters of just respecting each other. I mean, everybody wants to talk and nobody wants to listen. And, comic books have always had that sort of vocal section of trolls for a while. And it sounded like this book came out and some people tried to kind of cross the lines over a little bit and and waste your time just for the (laughs) sake of it. And I'm just curious, like, is that, I'm assuming is like, is that a new thing for you? And what was your take on dealing with that?
0: You know what, man, it's, it's, um, it's not, it wasn't a new thing. It's fine. Right. At the end of the day, I, uh, a lot of the books that I've written, especially, I mean, a book like All American Boys, there's going to be some pushback, right? So, like, like when you write a book about police brutality and 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 all the sort of intricacies of privilege in America and so forth and so on, there, you know, so I'm used to some of the backlash. I, and, and honestly, I have to say that like the first week there was some some of it, and it died down. I, I you know, I, I haven't seen. I thought it was gonna be even worse. The first week there was definitely some. I mean, there was a hashtag, right? Like the, the not my spider man hashtag. Oh, good uh, grief.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> you know, like and there was a lot of sort of trolls who were saying like Jason Reynolds sucks and then you know, I'm not reading it. It's like you so I suck, but you haven't read the book, right? You're not just gonna <laughs> right. <finish that>. you, <laughs> right. you just know it's bad, you know.
1: Keyboard warriors.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of like Peter Parker's the only Spider-Man, Marvel is ruining The legacy of everything by adding all these, all this, you know, by being forced to add diversity and all this kind of stuff. And honestly, uh, there's a part of me, there's a chip on my shoulder, and there's a part of me that takes great pride in ruffling feathers. I'm okay with people being uncomfortable with the work that I've created because at the end of the day, um, when I see kids show up to the book signing dressed as Miles Morales, when I see when I get letters from parents who say, my son has decided, uh, my son, my son was upset that I even had to ask him who he wanted to be for Halloween this year.
1: Mm.
0: Right. When I, when I, when I see my Puerto Rican homeboys, um, you know, and, and homegirls basically, you know, tear up at the notion that there could be someone to represent them. Right. Because we don't, I like, guess a whole other thing. Right. It's like, and the fact that they're, that they're, that there's Spanish in the book and that there's food in the book that, that, that they grew up eating. Right. Right. That stuff uh, outweighs, you know, silly trolls who and and, and honestly, it's okay for them to not like it. It's okay. I'm okay. It's art. I make art and people don't have to like everything that you make. And I'm totally cool with them not liking it. I just wish that they would at least give it a chance. I would at least read it. Sure. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) At least let me give you a reason to not like it. Right. But like to not like it just because it's not Peter Parker. and, and just because I'm not naive enough to believe that it's just because it's not Peter Parker and not because it's, it's, it because and not because this kid doesn't look like Peter Parker. Uh, you know, that's the thing that bothers me the most. It's just a, it's just a bummer, you know, it whatever. is.
1: Uh, it is. And I mean, at the end of the day, you're, you're doing the book that's right for you. And in addition to your editors, I'm sure you're running things by my family and friends and by colleagues. Do you as a writer find value in published reviews?
0: Um, yeah, yeah,
1: I do. Look, I, I, I'd be
0: disingenuous to say that I didn't care about published reviews. You know what I mean? I think that uh, it does matter what they say. It matters. It matters to me. And I know people are always like, it shouldn't matter. But it does. I'm human. Right? I'm I'm a human. I'm a human being who who makes, who makes something uh, and puts it and, and that thing that I make is public. And so it does matter to me what the public thinks and what these people who write reviews think. And I've been, um, I've been fortunate that for the most part they've been pretty good, you know, because it does matter, especially the reviews that come from people who specialize in superheroes and comic books, right? For this particular book, it's different because because it is such a um, because there are experts, there are people who are aficionados on this on this topic, and most of those people do not write for the New York Times. (laughs) It's true, (laughs) right? (laughs) And so the trade, so so when people who work in this particular um, world, this particular medium. Uh, write reviews that are good or bad. It does matter to me because I, I, their opinion matters. I mean, you, your opinion matters. You have a podcast about this character. It matters to me what you think about this book, right? And that's, and, and that's just the re, the reality. Um, I was super stoked though that it, it crossed over and got a, um, a starred review from Kirkus. Yeah. Because Kirkus is the hardest. They're the hardest set of reviewers in literature. And the fact that they even took the time to review uh, a work that was in genre, which they almost never do. Right. The fact that they reviewed a genre novel uh, about a superhero, about it, about uh, it, you know, one of the superhero institutions at that for that matter um, and gave it a star was a huge win for me. And not just for me, but a huge win for everybody who works in the comic world, everybody who works in um and superheroes, because what it says is this is to be taken seriously. That this isn't like enough of the whole like the 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 BS hierarchy of like what's literature and what's not. I talk all the time about how we have to stop with the walls about what should be read. When we if we're gonna if we're gonna promote literacy, then all literature has to be on the table, including comics and graphic novels, and and gaming manuals and anything else that we need to get young people interested in letters. Uh, we should use period. And so the fact that Kirkus reviewed it and gave it a star literally says this is to be taken seriously and that matters. It matters not just for me, but it matters for all
1: of us. The kind of extension of that question is does that affect your approach for your next work? Nah. Nah, nah you do what you got to do
0: yeah 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 you know i I've been fortunate to be in the industry for long enough to know that every every time you you start you start with a clean slate. It doesn't mean that when that book isn't finished and hits the bookshelves that I won't be stressed out about reviews. but as I'm writing a novel nah whether it's whether it's my own stuff or whether it's another spider man novel I'm not really you know for me man i i I believe in um I, you know, I come from a certain legacy, from a certain tradition. I, I work in a certain tradition. I work in a certain sort of vein. And I just believe in making the best work I possibly can within that tradition. I mean, that's, that's what I got into For It matters to me that this book, um, gets to stand up next to some of the, some of the other books that have been done like it. And um, it also matters to me that this book gets to stand up next to, uh, the black writers of, of my, my, like my heroes, right? And, and that is a different, it's a different thing, but it, but it still gets to, Stand up next to that. It's the equivalent of like if like a it's what, when when Tana took the Black Panther job, I, I I thought my head was gonna blow off. Oh, we all did, right? Because 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 what he because what that means is working in the tradition. I also can put that tradition in this space. It would be the equivalent if James Baldwin wrote Luke Cage.
1: <laughs> right.
0: You see what I'm saying? Like, I like, do. I do.
1: Yeah, that, that,
0: that's a huge deal. Um, and so it matters. It matters to me in that way, but when when I'm starting with a fresh page, um, I I have to push all that away and and just focus on like, all right, you know what you do, you know what you do well. Uh, There's a legacy and tradition for you to uphold that is void of all reviews and accolades.
1: Without giving anything away, Jason, I mean, this book closes on a very powerful emotional beat, but it's not necessarily the end of the story. So after this whole experience of bringing this novel out into the world do you feel like there's more you want to do for Miles as a character?
0: Uh, I feel that's a tricky question. That's okay, tricky no, all right. <laughs> I feel like there is more that can be done. Okay, for Miles as a character, um, I do not know if it will be me to do it. I I'm not opposed to it, but it hasn't come down the pike yet, right? So we just so Marvel and Disney are really, 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 really secretive and. I will know when, the, at the very exact time that all of you will know whether or not there will be more Miles Morales in this form.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> in this form, but, I mean, other writers have branched into comics. You mentioned uh, Tanahasi, uh Chelsea Kane wrote Mockingbird. Even Arnold Stein uh, has a comic out. I mean, do you think you'd be into writing a Miles comic book?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're talking— we're, we're- it's on the table and, and not necessarily, I don't know if miles is on the table. Cause I don't know if, um, I mean, I, I you know, it have been, this is baby, so I don't know if my, it'll be miles, but I, there's, there's definitely some talks. I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think, I
1: can't say too much, but okay. No, no. I, I, I understand.
0: It, 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 it's definitely on, there are some things on the table and with comics, with comics, I'm just trying to figure out, can I, do I have the skill set? Like, can I, do I have the chops to write? It's a different, it's a different medium.
1: I'm thinking like, I'm sure all the stuff in the big box they sent you, right? You get superior battles and the end of the universe. And I think at one point, like an interdimensional being eats New Jersey. So like, (laughs) I haven't really seen that stuff in your work yet. So, but is there, is there an appeal for you with that kind of
0: thing? There's an appeal. There's an appeal. Um, I don't know if I would, there's an appeal as long as I have this, this sort of, uh, I just need the wiggle room to do it my way. So I, you know what I mean? That's all. I, I want to do it. So, so, so. Let's put that on record. I do want to do it. I just want to do be able to at least do it my way. Um, and that doesn't mean that I'm, I'm not open to their way. I just there has to be a medium. Like I don't want a monster eating New Jersey, right? That's not <laughs> sure. See what I'm saying? Like that's not that's not really what I do. But I've definitely I mean, Black Panther to me was perfect, like what what they were doing with Black Panther, what how it was, how it felt. It felt really it felt like phantasm, but it also felt like reality in Mm -hmm. so many ways. Um, And that's sort of where my sweet spot is.
1: We'll keep an eye out for that. But I mean, in the meantime, (laughs) you've you've got a busy year because Miles Morales just came out. But you've got one, two more books on the way.
0: Yeah, man, I'll be coming out Tuesday.
1: Yeah, we got Patina, which is the second book in your series. It's a, about a group of high school track runners, and yeah, we pretty much mainlined Ghost uh, in our house, so we're we're pretty stoked <laughs> for that. So. That's
0: awesome. Yeah, Patina's coming Tuesday, man. It's a very different uh, perspective. Patina's story is a lot different than Ghosts, and um, it'll be it was really fun to write a write a girl and to. write. Well, actually, all, I wrote like, all girls. Is, I mean, you see Ghost and you see Lou and Sonny. They're all there. But it's mainly focused on the girls on the team. And it was really fun to do that. And really different, obviously. and, yeah. and just, Um. So, yeah, man, Patina's coming. And then Long Way Down's coming in October.
1: Long Way Down. you Can you talk a little bit about this? Because not only is the premise fascinating, but the format. I, I read about this, and my jaw just hit the ground. I mean, this is – please tell us about it.
0: Yeah. So, so Long Way Down is uh, – Story about a kid named named um, named name Will who loses his brother. Uh, his brother Sean is murdered, uh, unfortunately, gun violence, gang violence, that kind of thing. And he he decides the next day that he will avenge his brother's death. You know, it's like there are rules when you live in certain environments. There are codes and there are laws that that we govern ourselves by. And 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 you know, in his environment, it's like, look, no no crying, no snitching, and you always. Uh, seek revenge, right? You, you always retaliate. And so he's decided to uphold those rules, uphold those laws. And so he gets on the elevator with his brother's gun. Uh, and when the elevator door closes, the entire story sort of begins. And it takes place from the seventh, from the eighth floor to the ground floor. And every single floor, somebody gets on the elevator. And this is a person that he knows, but he also is aware that that person is no longer alive and um, was a victim of of gun violence. And so the whole novel takes place in about, I think it comes to about 71 seconds. Wow. It's, it's like a 300 some odd page novel, 71 seconds of his kid's life, um, as he's, as he's, you know, going down, um, to the ground floor to, to, to take care of his brother's killer. Uh, and it's all written in like really sparse verse, um, really, really, really punchy language. Uh, every single word is exact. I edited I edited this thing like 20 times, 30 times. I mean, like we're talking about editing and editing and every single word is exact. And um yeah, man, I'm excited. It's it's a different kind of novel, it's a different way to think about novels. It's a different way to think about. I mean, instead of me writing a slice of life that takes place in a day or a week or a month or 3 months or you know a season, you know, this is a slice of life that takes place in a minute. Yeah. In a minute because when you're that age, and for anyone who's experienced trauma out there, and I know a lot of us have, when you're that age, when trauma happens, a minute is a long time. And a lot of things can happen in in, in one single moment, um, especially when you're 15 years old and you're in the middle of trauma. Right? And that's sort of what this is about.
1: It's just cool and exciting to see someone push the format like this. And we're just really looking forward to, to that one. Thanks, man. I mean, with all this stuff going on, do you even have time to read for yourself these days? Yeah, man. Of course. So who are you reading? Like, who should we be checking out? You know what, man? So there's a lot. I
0: mean, look, there's a lot out there right now. Um, there are a lot of good books coming out soon. I mean, Dear Martin's about to come out, Nick Stone wrote a book, wrote a book, her debut novel, Dear Martin, which is all about sort of black boy in Atlanta, Georgia, who is trying to figure out, is it best to live by the letters and teachings of Dr. King? Uh, in the middle of such a tumultuous time, which is really good. Uh, there's, uh, what else is coming? Um, Tiffany Jackson wrote Allegedly, which came out earlier this year. Evie's a boy wrote a book called American Street, which is brilliant, which came out earlier this year. Obviously, Angie Thomas' The Hate You Give, which is number one and has been number one on the list for a very, very, very long time at this point, it is it's worth checking out. Uh, Tommy Alexander's Solo is, is pretty sweet. Really kind of, uh, an interesting take on a love story, uh, written in verse. Um, uh, Matt de la Pena has got a new picture book coming out. And I know most of your audience is too over picture books, but this is one of those picture books that all of us should be reading. Okay. It, is, it is gorgeous. And it's all about, um, it's all about a kid trying to explain what love is. And it's so beautiful. It's like, it's like emotionally beautiful, um, really powerful stuff. We could all use a little more love in our lives. Uh, especially when we think about it through the eyes of a child. I think we'd all we'd all be able to accept it more willingly if you understood it through the eyes of a child.
1: Yes. What's that one called?
0: I, th- I think it might just be called Love. Yeah, just, but it's Matt De La Pena. I mean, dude, is it's just genius. Uh and but I currently am am reading a book by an old book by Langston Hughes called Simple's Uncle Sam. And it's a collection of these really, really, really short stories about the same person whose name is simple. And it's genius. It's genius. And I am reading it because I am contemplating figuring out how to write something similar like this. Like, how do you take a, like, let's say you pick a character, like, I don't, like, let's say Ghost, for instance, right? And you write a book that's just ghost pontificating for 200 pages, but they're all these individual stories of ghosts. Of the inner workings of Ghost's mind, his ideas, right? Yeah. What is how does he view the world? Um, I think that we have to start thinking about shorter fiction for young people, especially for reluctant readers. I think we all should probably try to figure out. I mean, like verse verse works, um, but I also am interested in like how can you tell a whole story in two or three pages? Uh, because I think that young people need to understand what it feels like to complete something. And if you can do that and you can put a create a collection of that, of those stories all around the exact same character, then you can kind of get them to to, to break it up and chunk it out into stories that are chapters and complete an entire novel that way. And, and there's something to that, I think, that we don't necessarily explore when it comes to young people's literature that Langston Hughes was doing in the 1940s. Um, brilliant, brilliant book called Simple's Uncle Sam. It's genius. Um, so that's, when I'm, that's where I'm at right now.
1: Jason, I know that you're an insanely busy person. So for myself and the people listening, I really want to thank you for making the time.
0: Man, you got it. Thank you for the, for the support from the jump, man. I, I, You know, I meant what I said. I, I don't take that lightly. And, I, and I'm grateful for you reaching out and um and giving me a bump, man. Thank you so, so much.
1: Oh, our pleasure. I'm glad it worked out. And if people want to know more about your work and what you're up to, where can they find you online?
0: You can find me every, all the social medias at Jason Reynolds 83, Jason Reynolds 83. And I have a website, Jason Writes Books. No, what is it? It's Jason Reynolds Books. Yeah, that's it. Jason Reynolds Books. .com, but it's down right now. It'll be back up soon. We're just doing some maintenance. And then you can also, if you want to read my poems, all of my poems live on uh, Jason Writes poems. No, I am Jason com. That's what it is. Sorry. That's right.
1: I <laughs> <in the> <laughs> Sorry, got it.
0: I am Jason com is where all the poetry lives. I, I write, you know, 30 poems a year during the month of April and they all live on that site. So you've got like five, it's got like, you know, 200 poems just on it for, you know, you can scroll through.
1: Awesome. well, we'll Thanks again, man. I mean, given everything that's been going on this year and this this month, I think, uh, right. I think a book like Miles Morales' Spider-Man is more important than ever, especially for our younger readers. And again, I really appreciate getting to talk to you.
0: I appreciate that, man. Shouts to Kadir Nelson on the cover. Man. Yes. Kadir Nelson, you know what I mean?
1: But we're wishing you all the best and we look forward to seeing what's next.
0: Thank you, bro. Take care, man.
1: The novel Miles Morales Spider-Man is available now. Thanks again to Jason Reynolds, and thanks to you for checking out this episode. Let us know what you think. Find us on Twitter at the Ultimate Spin or send email to feedback at ultimate spinpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you soon on the Ultimate Spin.